You cannot understand America without understanding the South. It's the fastest growing, youngest, and most diverse part of the country. And Southerners are changing the music we listen to, the movies we watch, the food we eat, and the stories we share. I'm John Hammontree, host of The Reckon Interview, and each week I sit down and talk with some of the South's most interesting thinkers and creators. We talk about how this place shaped them and how they're reshaping the South. So go ahead and subscribe to The Reckon Interview, available wherever you get your podcasts. For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Outbreak Alabama, stories from a pandemic. As the novel coronavirus wreaks havoc in Alabama and across the world, these are the stories of those seeking to survive the disease and its economic strain. The question I think going into the fall and over the next few months is, does the White House attention on it stay at the level that it is? Today we hear from CNN White House correspondent Caitlin Collins. Based in Washington, D.C., she joined the network in 2017, covering the Trump White House and other national stories. Collins is from Prattville and is a graduate of the University of Alabama. She reports in a time where the relationship between the national media and this administration remains volatile, sometimes finding her network and herself at the center of it. I want to go quickly to the White House, where in an unprecedented move, CNN correspondent Caitlin Collins was actually banned from a late afternoon press event in the Rose Garden because the White House simply didn't like the questions she asked the president Earlier in the day, uh, Caitlin, uh, you were in the 2018, the White House banned Collins from a Rose Garden event after she asked Trump questions about Russian President Vladimir Putin and the president's former lawyer, Michael Cohen. CNN and other networks protested the ban. Last April, after being directed to give up her front row seat and move to the back of the press room, Collins refused and cited her seat assignment, a decision made lawfully by the White House Correspondents Association. In just last May, after Collins allowed CBS reporter Weijia Zhang to follow up with a question at a press conference, Trump then refused to answer her questions. I have two questions. No, it's okay. But we'll you pointed here. to me. I have two questions, Mr. Next, President. Next, next, please. But you did. You called on me. I did, and you didn't respond. And now I'm calling on. Sorry, I just the young lady in the back, please. I just wanted to let my colleague okay. finish. But can I ask you Ladies a and gentlemen, thank you very much. Appreciate but it. Thank you very much. So like her colleagues and her counterparts in the White House press corps, Collins faces daily challenges from the president and his administration who continue to label the press as fake news and the enemy of the people, all while working to keep her audience informed on the administration's response to national topics of interest like the COVID-19 pandemic and the unrest over the death of George Floyd. I spoke to Caitlin Collins about covering coronavirus at the national level. How she comes up with her questions to ask President Trump in pivoting from COVID-19 to the George Floyd protests. Okay, so I first want to ask you about the shift in national attention from coronavirus to the protests. And you've spent months working to keep people informed on a global pandemic, sharing information from the highest level, from the president to the experts like Dr. Fauci. But the cycle has been dominated by unrest related to the death of George Floyd, including the president's response to it. And I just wonder, how do you reckon with shifting storylines like that in a breaking news cycle where you've made so much progress here and then immediately have to drop that and move on to reporting something so brand new that's capturing the nation by storm? Yeah, I think something about being a White House reporter, you really learn how to be able to juggle multiple serious issues at hand at once. You know, it's not like 
a lot of other beats where you can really focus on one investigation, one thing that's going on. You know, throughout, I think anytime being a White House reporter, but especially in the Trump presidency, you have to really be able to be ready to talk about one thing in depth for a few minutes and then switch to something else entirely seconds later. But it's just much more magnified with the pandemic and the protests and the unrest that's happening. But in a weird way, they are intersecting. And you're seeing, you know, concerns about spread of COVID at protests and are people taking the right precautions, you know, while airing and using their First Amendment rights to speak and talk about what's going on. And so that's kind of been a fascinating aspect of it. And that's another aspect of being at the White House is, you know, we're not only when we see the president, we're not only questioning him about, you know, what is your message to the country on unifying at this time, but also, you know, are we still staying on top of what's going on with COVID? Because as as you've seen in recent days, it's spiking and it's changing and some states are seeing an uptick. And you have to make sure you're giving both of them equal attention to make sure, you know, people are still well informed of what's going on and they're not just leaving their homes and ignoring social distancing. But also you want to be able to talk about what's going on and how people are feeling because it's just it's it's such a moment right now in the country that it's really remarkable. Right. And we know that COVID will still be here if and when the protests begin to dissipate, possibly even resulting in clusters around the country. If the president shifts his attention and comments back to the virus and you have the access, what are you hoping to hear from him related to the virus right now? What do you think Americans want to know? I think something that has happened with the president and coronavirus is he's made a lot of predictions along the way. And like you saw this in the beginning, you know, he thought it would go away in April. He talked about the warm weather, all of those matters. And, you know, his latest prediction has been that he thinks there will not be a severe second wave, which is in contradiction to what health experts have told us. So, you know, a lot of times we have to wait to see how it plays out. And the question I think going into the fall and over the next few months is, does the White House attention on it stay at the level that it is? Because we've already seen them shift back in the briefings for coronavirus and shift back in the meetings that the task force has. And even the task force itself has not had the same kind of momentum that it did before. So I think those are the questions that we have to ask is, what are you doing to prepare for a second wave to prepare the country, you know, in case another pandemic ever happens? You know, they talk so much about how ill-prepared the country was this time. And the question, you know, going forward is how prepared are you going to leave whoever succeeds you and that person and what it looks like going forward from there? Yeah, and you're one of the few people with somewhat regular access to ask the president questions. What's your process in formulating them? Like, he's obviously unique from a media standpoint, and his press conferences are unpredictable. And now having so much experience with it, what's your mindset when it's your turn at the mic and choosing what to ask him and how to get the information that you think your audience needs? That's a great question, because I don't think it's how people would typically prepare for a press conference of, you know, whoever they're covering. Because what happens at the White House is you basically just have to be constantly ready to run into the president and have a chance to ask him a question. And you never want to squander that moment when you get it. So you always want to be the best prepared you can be. And so what I do, because of social social distancing, we're swapping on and off at the White House. One week I'm there and then it's someone else and then it's me because we just want to make sure we're keeping our distance from our colleagues. But what I do is I keep a running list of questions for him. Like right now, I'm looking at one on my my notes on my computer. 
and I just have, you know, like 10 subjects. And sometimes they're not always a well thought out question yet. You know, I still am like developing it. But you just always want to be ready because you never know. Like on Friday morning, I think it was about 8.30, 8.45, he declared he's having a press conference in the Rose Garden an hour later. So in a moment like that, you just, you really have to constantly be prepared for a chance to question him because you never want to miss that moment. Well, and there seems to be a mutual respect among the press corps, helping each other during briefings, whether it's deferring for follow-ups, asking questions on each other's behalfs. You recently and notably did that for CBS's Weijia Zhang before Trump ended the press conference abruptly. How would you describe that professional camaraderie within the group? And is that something that you found to be unique in covering this White House? I think being helpful to your colleagues is one of the most important things you can do as a reporter because sometimes the misconception is that we're competing against one another and you are in a reporting sense in that note but really there is a sense of camaraderie among the white house press corps it sometimes drives the president crazy because he doesn't like to see reporters banding together because the tactic that he uses and i think really you know you see this on the hill a lot you can see this state department really you know with a lot of politicians or people in power is they try to avoid a follow-up question on a question that, you know, they probably didn't answer and they'll try to move on to another reporter. So it's incredibly important that you're there to follow up or to let your colleague follow up because you can't just let them, you know, avoid the question or dodge it. Or if they are, you want to highlight that they're avoiding the question. And so I think it's incredibly important that you let your colleagues follow up. And that's something that's played out throughout the Trump presidency. But I think recently it has become that much more important because we are covering a pandemic. We are covering protests that have rocked the nation in a way that we really haven't seen recently. And so it's incredibly important to make sure you're getting the president on the record and that you're pressing him if it's a question he doesn't want to answer. What's been the biggest challenge for you in covering coronavirus from the White House? I think the biggest challenge and something that I haven't dealt with in my professional career is it's something that affects everyone and it never really leaves you. You know, even during impeachment, we weren't sleeping hardly and you didn't have a lot of time away from work, but you had a little bit and you could, you know, maybe go to the bar and get a beer with a source or a colleague, um, you know, just a few moments to like kind of turn your brain off. You don't really get that with coronavirus because it's something that affects us. You know, it changes the way I go to work. It changes my colleagues that I see or haven't seen in several months. I'm, you know, I'm not making any trips to see family or anything like that. So, you know, you're really just always thinking about the thing that you're covering 24-7. And I think that has been challenging in a good way because I think it helps you grow as a reporter, but it really does make you realize the responsibility you have as a reporter and to make sure you're getting it right and asking the right questions and you have the right tone in your coverage. And that has been such a learning experience for me during this in the last few months. Well, and finally, have you been able to keep an eye on how coronavirus has impacted your home state? I I understand that You went to school in Prattville, which is obviously in close proximity to Montgomery, where there's been a spike. What are you learning from Alabama? I've actually paid really close attention because all my family still lives there. So I have been making sure that my family has stayed completely informed of what's going on. 
that they know everything that's going on, but also, you know, looking at where I'm from and what's happening there. And as you noted, of course, Montgomery saw such an influx of cases that it spilled over into Prattville because it's so near, it's so close, of course. And like at one point, the mayor of Montgomery, I believe, said that there was one ICU bed left at the Prattville Hospital, which is just, you know, really stunning to me because I know the people that are going to that hospital and I know like what that does to a community if you don't have those options and if healthcare and, you know, getting the right treatment is a concern. I actually just bought lunch for the hospital where I'm from the other day because I called them and was talking to some of the people who worked there and, you know, they were just so overwhelmed with everything that's going on. They've never seen anything like this. And I just think the work that those nurses and those doctors are doing is so important. And I know that, you know, I grew up with a lot of those people. A lot of them are like my friend's parents or they're friends with my dad, things like that. And so it just really personalizes it for you. And you see, you know, what the healthcare community has gone through. And I just think it's so important to make sure, you know, we're supporting them and we're checking in on them. And, you know, they're doing the best they can. And I just think it's really important to make sure. I think it's really great how we've highlighted what the community of nurses and doctors has done and, you know, how they've gone above and beyond during this. And it's really inspiring, honestly. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for the time. Keep up the great work. Stay safe and roll tide. Well, thank you so much. If you or anyone you know is affected by coronavirus and want to share your story, please email bflanagan at al.com. That's B-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N at al.com. For all of our coverage on the outbreak and how it continues to impact Alabama, visit al.com slash coronavirus. If you like the show, please rate us and write a review. Thank you for listening. Additional audio from CNN.